Today we're at a, a, few, a few verses from Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, um, dealing with narrow and wide gates. I don't know if you guys are know Led Zeppelin and ACDC. I assume you do because it's classic rock. Um, so why is it a stairway to heaven but a highway to hell? It's because of the relative numbers expected. Uh, so we don't need a highway to heaven. Um, okay, uh, a few years ago I was driving down the road listening to the radio, which we don't often do anymore now that we have streaming and everything, and a song came on, I thought, oh, I remember listening to this when I was in high school, this is awesome song, I cranked it up, it was Highway to Hell, which I didn't, now I listened to the words, I thought, I just really love this song, but it's uh, no stop signs, no speed limits, it's going to go straight to hell. So, and I used to blast that in my room, and I wonder what my parents thought, but uh, they never said anything. Um, but they must have thought, wondered about their son, who ended up teaching by what little screen said. It all turned out in the end. Uh, so, uh, here's what the verse says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Um, so what I want us to think about and talk about this morning is what some people have called the fewness doctrine, uh, that it's really only a few that are going to make it into the narrow gate. <coughs> now, that seems to be what Jesus says here, right? But for those of you who have been participating in this class or just familiar with the Sermon on the Mount from elsewhere, the thing about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is using rhetorical flair. And when you use rhetorical flair, if you ever listen to any political speeches or whatever, um, a lot of times there's exaggeration to make points. And we've seen that in a few places in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, w I really want us to dig into this and try to understand um, what Jesus is teaching. And then I also want us to think about uh, what is our view about the numbers of people and their salvation. And then how does our view about that affect our relationship to people that we meet or just the world in general? What is the nature of the gospel, the good news? Is it good news that only a few people are going to be saved? I mean, what's the... So, we're going to just crack open this can of worms uh, and see where it goes. Are you on board with this? It doesn't matter unless, unless you can leave. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, this is a quote from uh, a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount by Scott McKnight. Is Jesus hereby being a radical exclusivist, or one who thinks few will enter the <coughs> kingdom while the vast majority of humans, most of whom on the world stage have not heard of Jesus, will be sent to hell? Or is this exaggerated rhetoric that ought to lead one to self-inspection instead of into theological speculation on the numbers of the saved? So... Um, I'll give you just a minute to, to read that again. It's not the easiest word. It's a couple sentences I've ever read. 
Um, are you familiar with this passage? Have you heard about the narrow is the path? We've got to find the straight and stay on the straight and narrow. Um, I think it's the King James that says straight is straight is the gate and narrow the road. And that's why we say straight and narrow. Um, small is the gate is the same word as narrow in Greek. Narrow is the gate and narrow the road. Um, so it's harder to find. Um, okay. And then, let's see if this works. Um, this is from several years ago. I think it's from 2011. Um, and uh, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins that, that caused a stir in the evangelical community. And um, <coughs> this was just a promo video for the book before the book came out, and a lot of people reacted to it. But the thing I, about that book is it, it raises this issue, and I think in ways that I think we need to, to examine and deal with as Christians, because it really affects how we present the gospel to the world. So let's watch this together, and then I'm going to allow you guys to kind of um, discuss. Several years ago, we had an art show at our church, and people brought in all kinds of sculptures and paintings, and we put them on display, and there was this one piece that had a quote from Gandhi in it. And lots of people found this piece compelling. They'd stop and sort of stare at it and take it in or reflect on it, but not everybody found it that compelling. Somewhere in the course of the art show, somebody attached a handwritten note to the piece, and on the note, they had written, reality check, he's in hell. Gandhi's in hell? He is? And someone knows this for sure? and felt the need to let the rest of us know, will only a few select people make it to heaven, and will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? And if that's the case, how do you become one of the few? Is it what you believe, or what you say, or what you do, or who you know, or something that happens in your heart? Or do you need to be initiated, or baptized, or take a class, or converted, or being born again? How does one become one of these few? And then there is the question behind the questions. The real question, what is God like? Because millions and millions of people were taught that the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus, is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. And so what gets subtly sort of caught and taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. But what kind of God is that, that we would need to be rescued from this God? How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted? And how could that ever be good news? This is why lots of people want nothing to do with the Christian faith. They see it as an endless list of absurdities and inconsistencies, and they say, why would I ever want to be a part of that? See, what we believe about heaven and hell is incredibly important because it exposes what we believe about who God is and what God is like. What you discover in the Bible is so surprising, unexpected, and beautiful that whatever we've been told or taught, the good news is actually better than that better than we could ever imagine.
good news is that love wins. Okay, so that kind of raises the question. <coughs> so, um, let me give you a chance to talk with each other, and then I look forward to hearing just kind of a poll of the class. So, um, we want to do justice to what Jesus says, and what I feel like we do a lot of times in the Sermon on the Mount is we read what Jesus says, and we're like, okay, but what does that really mean? And we end up saying and conditioning it. So I don't want to just put it away, but what does Jesus mean that the road that leads to life is narrow and only if you find it? What's, what's he trying to get us to think about here? And then we can also expand that to, to just share with people around you who maybe what you've been taught or what you believe about few versus many and just the general things around that. And that also leads us to talk about heaven and hell. So. You understand what we're, the assignment is? Okay, so talk with some people around you about these issues. Alright, let's, uh, let's have a discussion of this and the issues that are raised by this. Um, okay, um, billboards on the road, it's, it's always about hell, right? Yeah. So we go to hell first, like, if you died if you died today, 
where would you spend eternity? I've seen that on billboards. So if we want to collapse the gospel message that that is presented sometimes by certain Christians to the world, that's what you get. Um, but what you're pointing out is maybe what Jesus is saying is it's about how you live now. Um, and one of the implications of this is that Jesus saying the life that brings you the most ultimate joy and peace is not something that you're just going to follow the crowd into or put on cruise control and end up there. It takes, you know, and I think this is a life lesson in general. Sometimes if you just do what is easiest, it doesn't end up always paying off, right? <laughs> so um, it's easier not to study for your finals. Um, but when you do that, you know, it takes some effort to kind of say, okay, I'm going to not go to the movies, uh, the matinee, Frozen 2 with my friends. I'm going to stay here and uh, study. It takes a more effort to do what what is going to lead to the best. Now, we could talk about, and this just came to me, you know, why is life like that? Why, why couldn't life just be if you just kind of go along with crowd, it ends up in a good place. Um, interesting question. But um, one of the points is, so all the talk about heaven and hell is really there so that we, that we understand our decisions now are important. Um, so in my classes, I have an attendance policy that if you miss over five classes, I will deduct two points per absence over five from your final grade. Now don't tell anybody outside of this class, but I've never actually looked at attendance at the, at the end. Uh, I take attendance all the time. Um, every class period I take attendance. Because I went through a phase of my teaching career where I didn't take attendance and I didn't have that policy. And people missed a lot of classes and failed, right? And I found that if I had an attendance policy that says after five absences you get two points deducted, a lot of people miss five and no more. And they didn't fail, right? So I felt like it's a service to the students to put that policy in there, even if I don't end up doing that at the end. I'm not saying that God's not going to do anything, but I'm making a parallel that the reason the penalty is there is, is so that we do the right thing now. Um, and in some ways, I'm starting to bracket out the question of well, what happens to everybody later, because that's not our decision. Um, but the urgency that we have then is to live lives that are good examples and invite people into a life now that's fulfilling, not just keep your fire insurance so that when you die, you don't go to the bad place. <laughs> I mean, what Jesus is presenting is, in the Sermon on the Mount, is a community that cares for each other in ways that make it a great way to live now. Good. Um, okay, anything you guys want to add to that on this side? Um, I feel like, uh, this, what, in my opinion, I feel like this is a warning. Like Jesus is uh, giving us this warning like, because he is the gate. You know, the gate is the Lord Jesus. He's the, the only way to be saved. Mm -hmm. Christ, and to die for him. 
it's not easy to follow me, and you like you have to be fully committed. You can't be half in the so that you know, if you want to come, because the gig is gonna be hell. It's gonna be tough. You're gonna have valleys and obstacles. You're gonna have days where you have no, you know, where your faith is little. But if you come to this gig, there'll be life, you know. Yeah. But it is hell. It is hard. It is difficult. It's not easy. Like everybody, because if it was easy, then everybody will be able to come to it. If it was easy, then there'll be no more for Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And I kind of said like. I look at it more of like like being a follower already and having like the narrow of being aware of like people like actually studying the Bible and like following that road that's tends to be more difficult versus like the wide road being the red letter followers where people like only follow Christianity based off the things that Jesus said and they claim that they're Christians just because they're following things that Jesus said instead of like getting into the Bible versus for me the more narrow way and not just like today you can kind of have a good way. Yeah, I find the red letters to be the hardest ones <laughs> in some of the video like the Sermon on the Mount in particular. Um, yeah, um, and Jesus never downplays the, the difficulty to get more followers. So in some ways it's tempting to say, hey, come be a Christian because it's great and it's awesome and makes your life better. And ultimately, I think it does make your life better. <coughs> but in the short run, it doesn't always make your life easier. Right? It's harder. It's a harder way to live. Love your enemies. <laughs> Forgive seven times a day or 40, 70 times seven or 490. I'll start at 490. I did the math in my head. 70 times seven. Um, that's, that's a hard... And Jesus never minimizes the cost of being a disciple, he, in some ways, he says, this is really going to be very difficult, what I'm calling you to. So, Jesus doesn't feel like, sometimes I'm tempted to say, come on, you know, just play video games and basketball games and things, and being, being a Christian is going to be fun, you know? Um, and there are great things about it, but we also need to recognize, and what this forces us to understand is there's going to be challenging things. Good. All right, let's come over here. What do you, what do you guys have to add? Um, we kind of focused on the last sentence and like the difference between if we think it's exaggerating rhetoric or if we should be like thinking about numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and all of us were like, yeah, we weren't really taught the numbers part of it. Um, we were taught like the self-inspection part of it. And so um, then we kind of got a little off track and started talking about like God's nature and things. But um, yeah, overall, we just sided with the exaggerated rhetoric mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah. And I like the idea that it's not so much for us to theorize about other people as much as to challenge ourselves. Am I willing to be on the straight and um, In some ways, it's not relevant. I think, I, well, the Rob Bell video brings up the issue that how we present the gospel to others, it is relevant. But as far as our personal introspection, our goal is just to 
am I following Jesus? Am I willing to do what it takes to follow Jesus? Um, what Jesus, or what God does with everybody else, isn't necessarily relevant to that. But I don't want to minimize the idea that for some people, if God is going to send the majority of people to everlasting punishment, that raises questions about the nature of God. I don't know if that's where you went with that, but that's, I think that is relevant to our discussion here, too. Good. We'll go here, and then we'll go to the question. Um, we kind of talked about, like, as Christians, we think about, like, yes, this gate is narrow. It's like, what do we have to do to get through this narrow gate? And I think that is just, that leads us astray, because it's like we need to do A, B, and C, or we need to, like, go serve Him, go do all these things, but like in the end I think Jesus really sees our true heart and like where that lies. So like even as Christians if we go out and if we do like A, B, and C, study the Bible, but if we don't truly love and truly like sometimes I find myself doing like a chapel credit because like man I need a chapel credit, but it's like where does my heart lie? Like do I really, really like want to serve these people and love God and love others? Or am I just like going through the routine just because I feel like I have to be a good Christian? And I think like we all get I'm so guilty too that we just get caught up in like I have to do this because I need to get through this gate but like that's not where it should lie yeah and uh, the verses right after this which I get to next week is um, where Jesus says um, some people at the end are going to say Lord, Lord and he's going to say I never knew you and they're going to say well we did miracles in your name we cast out demons in your name and he's going to say I never knew you. So that's a scary verse because it, it indicates that sometimes we can think we're doing what Jesus wants us to do and we're Jesus acts like that's not the most important thing. So it gets into your motivations and all that. Calls it sheep and wolves and sheep's clothing. Um, so we do have to think about our motivation. I think there can be occasions where we do good things even if we don't feel like doing them and it's, it's good to do that every now and then. It's called cold turkey obedience where you're not doing it because you feel like doing it. But if every single day you're forced, having to force yourself to do something you don't really want to do, then I think we have to introspect and say what, what is my motivation here? Yeah. Dr. what were you going to say? I was saying, I, every time I read the Bible, Yeah, it's dangerous if you think you've already arrived and you want other people to arrive. Um, 
it's better to say we're we're all going to the same goal. Join us, join me as I try to make my life better and make make your life better too. Um, yeah, be part of the few. I mean, if you already think I am part of the few, um, that's not. That's not the sense I get from this verse. It's the sense is I, I want to be. Um, that's a goal I'm, I want to reach, not something I'm already there. Um, if you think about it, as just being a few, and you're in the few, that that who who is who is in that group becomes pretty. They get really really small. Um, uh, somebody I heard this one time. My husband says it about. He and his wife, he's like, it's just going to be me and thee. And some days I'm not so sure about thee. <laughs> so it's just going to be me. Um, so the meals in heaven are going to be hard because it's just, it's hard to cook for one person. It's easier to cook for a group. Um, <coughs> a joke there. I <laughs> Why are they eating so good in hell? Well, it's easier to cook for <coughs> Hard to cook for one. Um, you just get like a TV dinner just by yourself. Why even go to trouble to make a big meal for one person? I, I was single, so I was pretty much. Um, I never mind. Me standing up over the sink. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's. If, if you're the, the threats, the threats of danger is not the highest motivation. Um, it can be a motivation, but it's, it's not the highest level of motivation, and it's not going to last very long. Um, it may get you in the door, but what's going to keep you going is going to be more than that. Okay, how about up here? self-inspection part um, kind of in relation to earlier in the chapter when he talked about judging others like mm -hmm. the plank in your own eye yeah um, and just kind of maybe thinking if there might be like some parallels there yeah because I do agree I do think it's more about the kind of like the self-inspection yeah than getting caught up in the theological speculation of who's saved who's in who's out because ultimately like we don't really know yeah yeah but yeah I think that's there's a lot of themes in this sermon that, that kind of overlap. Yeah, and I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, take the plank out of your eye before you take the plank out of somebody else. So we need to. The rhetorical strategy here is is saying it's going to be difficult, um, but think about yourself uh, before you think about others. Good. Um, I made a few points here, which I think we've all covered. Um, so, uh, the way of discipleship is difficult. That's one of the things I get from this verse. Um, now is the time to enter the narrow door. So, the thing about universalism, and there, there is a, there are some options on the Christian theological spectrum of what's going to happen when people die. Uh, the majority option throughout the history of Christianity is the terminology for it is eternal 
conscious punishment, or some people call it internal conscious torment. I don't really like the idea of torment, um, but but there are some pictures of hell being fire, and you know the rich man Lazarus. The rich man is in torment, and he asks for Lazarus to just dip a little bit of water on his tongue to cool him off. So we get these pictures of of torture, torture type things. Um, so the majority view throughout the history of Christianity is that uh, those who are outside the kingdom, there is punishment that is eternal and it's conscious. Um, so people know that they're missing out or they know that they're not in a good place. Um, a second option is called annihilation. And that's the theory that the punishment that is eternal is that if you're not in the kingdom, then you cease to exist. So you just kind of, after you die, you, you're gone, right? So sometimes that's called conditional immortality. So, so true eternal life is given to those in the kingdom. Those outside the kingdom just don't have life at all. Um, and then another option is um, universalism, that everybody, that love wins. I, some people read Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, to argue for this. It's not exactly clear to me that he believes this, because he doesn't come out and say it. Uh, that eventually there will be chances for everybody to respond even after death. So God is going to woo, and because God is God, of course God's going to win eventually. He's eventually going to convince everybody to be part of his kingdom. And that's a very optimistic view. Um, the downside of that view to me is it, it minimizes how we live now. So if ultimately I'm going to be in, then I can do whatever I want now, right? And that kind of, I don't, I don't think universalists say, they say it's the best life is living the right way now, so we should all want to do that. But there's chances for everybody even if they don't do that now. Um, but the message I get from what Jesus and other places in the Bible talk about this is that the reason those warnings are there is because it is important. The choices we make now are important and they matter. So it matters how you choose to live your life. Do you live like Mother Teresa or are you going to live like Hitler? You know, there's a better, there's a better way, right? Those are extreme <laughs> examples, I know. <laughs> but uh, um, it matters how, how you live. The choices we make every day, if we choose every day to try to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, do something every day for the kingdom to help somebody along the way, those choices matter. Um, the population of the kingdom will be surprising to some. So we talked in this passage in Matthew, it talks about few, but there are some passages, and I overheard some people talking about this in their groups, there are some passages that, that are more optimistic. So even in Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says, Many will come from the east and the west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast. Um, and he says that in the context of some of the Pharisees and religious leaders who think they're in are going to be out. And some people that are out, like the Gentiles and tax collectors, are going to be in. Um, and then Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. Um, so there are some passages that use the term many for people that will be included. 
And then I'm sure you thought about or talked about this that it's it's not our decision ultimately, right? So I'm grateful for that. God's decision. And I believe God will act justly. Um so a couple passages, and this is the last slide I have, but um in Luke's gospel it says, A servant who knows a master's will and does not get Ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does think his own punishment will be beaten with a few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much, much more will be asked. So there are some passages that suggest the judgment will be relative depending on what you've been exposed to or what you know. And then in Revelation, um, there's a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne before the Lamb. Um, so there's some, there's some optimistic passages. So in Matthew's, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is using a rhetorical strategy to say, hey, this is not going to be easy. Um, it's ultimately God's decision who all's in and out. Um, but it's, it's important for us to think about the decisions that we make now um, and live a life now that's worthwhile and kind of bracket out in some ways what's going to happen afterwards. What do you think? It's not the easiest topic, but it deserves, I think it deserves thought because um, it affects what we think of the gospel. All right. Thank you very much for your discussion today. Um, and if you're here next week, we will be having class, I think. Is that planned? Yeah. I think so. Um, so whoever's still around, come back and join us. Some of you live here, so we don't have to. <laughs> uh, have a great rest of your Sunday.